have a Bible, uh, why don't we open up to Matthew chapter 26. And tonight, we'll, we'll see how far we get um, as we do a study that basically gives us the insight of what happened on the night before the cross. Uh, some churches call it Maundy Thursday. Uh, some churches even celebrate the whole week, and they and they call it a Holy Week. Um, I don't know if we need to necessarily give it a special name other than just trying to go back in time and meditate on this amazing night uh, before the cross. Um, we know that there on the cross, Jesus uh, set us free. There on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus disarmed all principalities. Uh, he gave us the victory. He died for our sins. He suffered. And, you know, there was a lot to it. You know, just coming to the world and stepping into our existence and the incarnation, that was a huge step. Um, but that cross was the, was the key. We know eventually he would rise again. But that was kind of like a given. I mean, then nothing can hold him down, right? But this cross, we had to make a decision to die for us. That, that's a huge thing. And, of course, it happened. It was probably a series of decisions throughout his whole life. But the night before, it actually happened. That Thursday night before it, it actually happened, when it was right there, right in his face, when all hell was coming against him, man. That night is a very important night, you know, because we're going to learn about the Lord. And not only that, I think we're going to learn about ourselves. If you think about it as Christians, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, ha have you embraced the cross? Have we done what we're really called to do? And that is to deny ourselves, lose our life so that we might find it. So that when we might do what God's called us to do in life. You know, one way I think that might help us is to watch how Jesus did it. Watch how the night before the cross he made this amazing, amazing decision to go forward and to do the will of the Father. Beautiful, beautiful example for us as Jesus died for us. You know, a lot of things happened this week. Sunday, Jesus uh, went in, Palm Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, things were happening where Jesus was, you know, going back and back, uh, forth with the Pharisees. And Tuesday, he was anointed. They anointed his feet uh, for his burial. We don't know what happened Wednesday. Wednesday is the day of silence. But on Thursday, uh, things began to happen. And they went, they prepared the upper room. And on Thursday night, this is now the night before the cross, we pick it up here in verse 20. It says, now, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Now on this night, Jesus would eventually be abandoned, forsaken, deserted by all. Even denied three times by Peter. 
But the one I think that probably hit the hardest is this pre-planned, eyes wide open, betrayal of Judas. You know, apparently Jesus didn't meet the expectations of Judas. Or somewhere along the line, he got caught, he got hit, he got hammered, he got hooked, he got messed up with money. Happens all the time. You know, where we see uh, Judas was the one handling the money for the ministry. He was taking from it, the Bible says, though, in John chapter 12, verse 6. Now, earlier, when Mary of Bethany used an amount that was equivalent to one year's salary, something he probably had his eyes on, he, he, he then, that was like the final straw, he made a deal with the religious leaders to find an opportune time to betray Jesus somewhere a bit more private which he will eventually do, we're going to see later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, whom Jesus had poured his life into, Judas, whom Jesus loved, Judas, with eyes wide open, pre-planned, would betray the Son of God. You know, Jesus was devastated by this. We read in John 13, verse 21, that he was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Here we read in our text here in Matthew that they, you know, began to ask him, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Everyone except Judas. Judas didn't ask. So Jesus said, well, it's the one that I dip the bread in this sop and I give to. That's the one who will betray me. And Jesus then dipped the bread. He gave it to Judas as an expression of honor. By the way, he was seated in the place of honor. And then at that time, Judas asked, Lord, is it I? We read that here in Matthew 26, right? And Jesus said, you, you said it. <laughs> it sure is. You know, this is something that had been prophesied back in Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. You know, and that doesn't mean he just turned around and, you know, walked away. No, he kicked me like a horse would kick someone. That, that was going on on the night before the cross. His friend, his close friend, obviously, someone that he trusted was about to betray him. Undoubtedly, Jesus was here, and I think, you guys, I, I, I really believe Jesus was giving him an opportunity to repent. He was giving him a way out. He was warning him, listen, man, this is sin, big time sin. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I have to die. It's, it's in the word, and I know I'm going to be betrayed, but man, the one who betrays me. The one who betrays me, man, it would have been better if he had never been born, if he never, ever existed. That's how heavy the sentence would be. But Judas was not open to the warning. And after he ate the bread, the Bible says in John 13, 27, that Satan entered him. Crazy, huh? That Satan entered him. Let me tell you something, man. When Satan enters your life, there's no hope for you. And that's why before Satan enters your life, you've got to heed the warnings of Jesus Christ. 
Now we're going to see tonight there's similarities between Judas and Peter. They both fell, but Judas did it with his eyes wide open, defiantly, intentionally, unrepentantly. And if I could just say this, as we go and we study that night before the cross, may we never, ever do what Judas did. You know, Jesus was giving him a way out. He didn't take it. You know, maybe there's someone here tonight who's in a similar place. You know, you're ready and you're willing to betray Jesus. I don't know. Maybe there's someone here tonight. You're just, you're ready. You got it all planned out. Whatever it is you're going to do. Can I just say to you, please, don't do it. Don't betray Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He made you. You didn't make yourself. Why would you betray Jesus? We've got to understand, you guys, that once Satan enters in, there's no turning back. We can't play games with God. And so if I would just say, don't be a Judas. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Right now, you're ready. You're whatever it is, the sexual sin, the drugs, the drinking, whatever it is. You don't want to walk with the Lord anymore. You don't want to seek the Lord anymore. You've already got your mind made up. You've already made a deal with the devil. But you're here tonight. God brought you here tonight to tell you, don't do it. God says, I made a way of escape. Tonight is a way of escape. Tonight, tonight, give your life to Christ. Tonight, fully surrender to the Lord. Tonight, hear his voice and respond. That was what the Lord was trying to do with Judas. We need to take that way of escape. Here we see the abandonment of one of Jesus' best friends. It hurts him. It did hurt him. And, you know, maybe if that happened to you or me, man, you know, we might wallow in self-pity or we might just say, you know what, forget it. It hurt him, yes, but it did not stop him from doing what he was going to do. He was going to die. And so we read next, it says in verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Here we have the institution of communion. If you, again, were to harmonize the Gospels, Jesus had already washed the feet of his disciples. We read that in John 13. After which Judas had left the room to do his thing, to betray Jesus. We read that in John 13, verse 30. And so we see here that Jesus presented himself, so to speak, to his disciples in this institution of communion. Now, one thing to take into consideration is that this couldn't have actually been his body or his blood because he didn't die yet, right? He didn't die yet. This was not transubstantiation. You know, the Catholic Church teaches it was actually his body and his His blood, no, it's symbolic and it's figurative for his disciples. 
You know, they didn't understand everything. As a matter of fact, they didn't understand a whole lot <laughs> for a while. Huh? But eventually they would know what this meant right here, you guys. You know, and, and for us, you know, now as we look back with the contemplation of the canon, having the whole Bible in our hands and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we understand. We understand what he meant that this is my body and this is my blood. That God was about to die for us. God. Now we see it now. This is my body and this is my blood. And even though they were all about to abandon him, Judas was in the very process of doing that. Jesus was now committing himself to die for them. You know, and maybe you're here tonight, and I don't know, you know, but just as a quick side note, maybe you're going to reject Jesus Christ. Maybe you're going to choose to, to lead your own life. You're going to be the captain of your own ship. You think you know more. You think you're smart. You're not going to follow God. Can I just say this? Jesus died for you. He still died for you. And maybe that can just kind of rattle our cage a little bit and, and just come to this place where we understand, you know, he loves you, man. You know, this new covenant, it wasn't like the old covenant. The old covenant was a bunch of rules and regulations. And it was cool. It, was a, it, ha, it had a purpose. But the law, all it could do was tell you you're a sinner. You know, it had the Ten Commandments, and then they made, a, what, 612 commandments out of the Ten Commandments. And you had all the, the ceremonial law, the civil law. You had all these things that were going on, the moral law. But the law, it couldn't save anybody because all it could do was tell you you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. It didn't have the power to give you life. It didn't have the power to give you forgiveness. But the New Covenant, look again, verse 28. The New Covenant... It's a covenant of forgiveness, man. It's a covenant of power. It's a covenant in which Jesus Christ, you know, he you know, goes in and he offers his blood once and for all and said, done deal. And all you have to do, this is all you have to do, is admit you're a sinner and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, not just here, but if you do that in your heart, then you will be forgiven. And the cool thing about it is that the law, it didn't give you the power to overcome sin, but now when you become a Christian, now you have the power actually to do the law. You have, a, you have the power to fulfill the law, not perfectly, but properly. You have now the power to overcome sin. You know, I remember the day that I got saved, August 20th, 1989. I had no power in my life. But I knew that I needed God in my life. I knew I needed forgiveness. I went forward. I gave my life to Christ. Many of you here have done the same thing. And on that night, I can tell you this, heaven opened. A miracle took place in my life. God came in. I could never deny it. I could never deny the existence of God because I have experienced not only in that one day, but throughout my life it came in. And if you would surrender your life to God completely, then that same power would come into your life, wash you, forgive you, and cleanse you. And he sets you free. 
You don't have to worry about, you know, religious leaders. Maybe you look at me and you're like, he's a religious leader. I don't like him. That's cool. You don't have to like me. It doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about me. You have to worry about religious leaders. This is between you and God. He died for you. You humble yourself and you accept Christ. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You see, he was presenting himself right here as to his disciples for our purification, for our redemption. I'm not afraid to die. Not because I'm a good person. I'm probably worse than a lot of you guys here. I have no doubt about it. I'm not afraid to die, though, because Jesus Christ has washed away my sins. And that's why he said, this is my body. Take, you know, eat. It becomes a part of you. This is my blood. Drink, it becomes a part of you. And when you do that, it's in your heart. You're forgiven. And you're going to go to heaven. Not only are you going to go to heaven, you're going to have heaven on earth. You're going to be everything that God wanted you to be in, in life. You see, it's a different than the old covenant. They would no longer be under the law for salvation or sanctification. They would no longer need to sacrifice animals or do good works or go to confession or offer sacraments to be accepted by God. It was different than the old covenant because now the veil of separation was torn in two. No mediators, no priests. It's the priesthood of all believers now. And wherever you're at now, you can get on your knees. You can just close your eyes. You don't even have to close your eyes. You can just talk to God. You see, that's the new covenant that we have. And all this was predicted in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it's pretty amazing how there were so many predictions going on this Thursday night. Uh, We'll see this in our text. Even the very next verse, look what it says in verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. A lot of things going on. You know, the Jesus predicting that Judas would betray him. Uh, Jesus here predicting the fact that, hey, this is our, our last supper. That's why they call it uh, the last supper. You know, this was it. Until the new kingdom. And one day we're going to be there and we're going to drink it. And, you know... I, a lot of guys are thinking, hey, we're going to get drunk with Jesus, man. You guys are bad, you know. No, it's, it's just a, it's a drink that's out of this world. It's a drink of the kingdom. It's, uh, it's talking about fellowship with God. You know, I mean, in the, simple, the simplicity of it is when you eat with somebody, you know, you become one with them, you hang out with them. Um, I was reading my devotions just the other day about how uh, King David uh, found some uh, ascendant of Saul. There's got to be somebody alive. And he finally found this guy, Mephibosheth. He was lame in his feet. And he brought him, you know, to the king. And Mephibosheth thought he was going to get wiped out, you know, because, man, the descendant of the former king, nobody keeps them alive, right? But David, who was a typology of Christ, he said, man, you're going to eat at my table every day now. Every single day, you're going to sup with and that's, that's what I'm talking about, you guys. That's the relationship that we have with God. You know, now we can sup with Him. Now we can go. There's no separation. But on that kingdom day, one day when we're there in the kingdom of God, whatever you do, don't think that you just die and you turn into dirt. How dumb is that? There's a soul inside of you that lives on. 
God wants you to be with him in heaven. And one day we'll be there and we'll be in the kingdom. Think about it. And Jesus actually will be our waiter. That's amazing, man. That's what the Bible says. And so they have this last supper. Uh, Jesus is hurt, but he's not hindered from his mission at hand. He still presents his body, his life, his death. And then it says in verse uh, 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Undoubtedly, they sang the great Halal Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. And so if you really want to get into this, go home and sing it tonight. Just sing it. All right? Deal? Then we have another prediction. Look what it says in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, forsaken by all. Eventually, he would even be forsaken by his father. Man, what keeps you going? Love, right? It wasn't nails that brought Jesus to the cross. It was love. It wasn't their threats. It was the, the love that held him there. Here he says, all of you guys, as a matter of fact, are, are going to desert me, are going to abandon me. All of you guys are. This was prophesied in the Old Testament, this time in Zechariah 13, verse 7. And so does that mean that it's fate? Does that mean that they had no choice? No, of course not. You know, God knows the end from the beginning. And God wants us to know that he knows the end from the beginning. And that's what these prophecies are all about. You know, we don't have to wonder if God wins. He wins because we know that. It says that in the book, right? But we see these predictions that Jesus uh, is, is offering and he's telling them. And, and really, he's kind of warning them. We even see a, a more specific one. In verse 33, it says, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, I surely I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. This is crazy, huh? Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. And things are just kind of unfolding. And, you know, we learn a lot, I think, just reading what happened on the night before the cross. Abandoned by all, and to get specific, betrayed by Judas, and then denied three times by Peter. Peter. I mean, maybe Judas. But not Peter. That guy, you know, he's um, he's different. He's strong. He's like a, a mighty soldier. He's courageous. He's uh, you know, the man of faith. He's the he's the he's the leader. Nah, not Peter. But Jesus says, Yeah, Peter, you know, you're a prize. 
You know, if you were to read over in Luke 22, 31, Jesus was speaking to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, you know, the devil's after you. And maybe some of you here tonight and you may think, well, it's weird. It's not really that weird. It's not really that weird. It's very, very biblical that the devil is after you. You know, and and that could be maybe a good thing. Maybe you're doing something right. Or maybe he sees potential in you. He says, man, if if they ever get like sold out for the Lord, they're going to do damage to my kingdom of darkness. I want them. I want them. I don't know. You know, maybe for all of us here tonight, in some way, you know, some type of demons after us. I don't know. But I do know this, that Peter had that, you know, whole thing going on. And, and the Lord said he wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to just totally, totally thrash your life. He wants to thrash your life. That's what he wants to do. Now, if Jesus told me that, if that was me, and Jesus said, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, Manny, I probably would have said, Lord, tell him no, Lord. (laughs) You know, if he's asking for me, if the devil's asking for me, I tell you what, God, just tell him no, okay? You know, but the bottom line is it doesn't work that way. God can't choose for you. You got to choose for yourself. You see, we're in a battle, the Bible says, and God will provide the protection, the power. He'll give us the wisdom that's necessary and the resources. Everything will be there to give us the victory if we let him. You see? You know, already we see Peter's problem. He's not listening to the Lord. Oh, Satan's asked for you. You guys are going to deny me. Peter's all, no, you're wrong, God. You're wrong. Imagine that, telling God, you're wrong. (laughs) So Peter was doing, right? Even if these guys deny you, I won't. You see a little, uh, what do you see there? A little pride, huh? Man, God has a way of humbling us in life. Peter was self-confident. It's okay to have confidence in God, but it's never, ever okay to have confidence in yourself. See, our confidence needs to be in God. You know, we see that Peter right here was underestimating the enemy. It was kind of like the other day when I was playing basketball with my son. You know, we were playing for the first time. I told the guys the other day, he beat me for the first time. He got very, very lucky. But here's the thing is I was underestimating him. I said, you know what? He's not going to bust the threes. He's not going to bust them. And he started, you know, busting a few to actually win towards the end of the game. I underestimated him. That's the bottom line. Otherwise, he'd never beat me. Okay? (laughs) And you're underestimating. A lot of times we underestimate the devil. Peter has that problem. He's self-confident, underestimating the devil. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so I'm speaking not only to those of you who are weak, those of you who are straggling, those of you who are backslidden tonight. I'm speaking to those of you who are strong. Those of you who are strong tonight and you're thinking it'll never happen to me. 
Oh man, those are the those are the first words to your downfall, right? It can happen to me. It can happen to anybody. The other day I heard again another pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor fell. It can happen to anybody, right? Peter said, "Not me, man." It can happen to you. I mean, if it can happen to King David, it can happen to you, huh? And that's why we need to make sure that we pay attention to tonight's study because we're going to get into some things, I think, that will help us in that. But, you know, before you choose to sin, know the consequences of it. Know that if you plant bad seeds, you will reap later on in life, if not immediately. David, when he found his sin with Bathsheba, remember there in Second Samuel chapter 11, it was when the kings went out to battle. The kings are supposed to go out to war. David stayed behind in the temple. Well, it's already the first mistake right there. He must have already been drifting away from the Lord. He's out of the will of the Lord. He goes on the housetop and he sees Bathsheba and she's bathing there. And so what does he do? He calls and he says, hey, what's up with her? Oh, she's married to Uriah, one of your best men, one of your homeboys, one of your friends. And so that right there says, okay, then you guys can't be together. But David says, no, go send for her. He slept with her. He thought, no big deal. No one's going to find out. Your sin will find you out. It will. The other day, it was kind of funny. I was in my Bible college class. And I was telling my students, because we have probably about 30 students in the class, a really, really good-sized class. And I was telling them, man, whatever you do, don't tell Vivian, she's a Bible college secretary, that I'm not taking role. Don't tell her that because, man, I just don't have time. Whatever you do, don't tell her. Okay? And it was so funny, man, because what ended up happening was she got the CDs from the class, and she happened, she happened to just pop in the CD at the very moment where it said, Don't tell Vivian <laughs> that Manny's not taking role. I'm telling you, your sin will find you out, right? It will. And so David, she's pregnant. He tries to cover it up. He calls Uriah back. Uriah was an incredible man. You know, David said, go home. Be with your wife. I mean, if you've been out in the battlefield, you're married. you got a beautiful wife. I mean, wouldn't you go home and be with her? If you were an average man, yes. But Uriah was a mighty man of valor. He was not an average man. He didn't go home. And so David said, why didn't you go home? And, you know, Uriah said, well, you know what, Joab's out there in the fields and, and, you know, they're fighting the war. How could I enjoy my wife? And so David said, okay, plan B, I'll get him drunk. Now, when you get people drunk, you find out who they really are sometimes, huh? Oh, this is, you know, you get him drunk. I'm sure he'll go home and sleep with his wife. Didn't work. Uriah was real. He was a real godly man. And so what does David do? He writes a little note. He writes it to Joab the general. He says, put Uriah up in the front of the battle. In the heat of the battle, and then draw back, let him die. David killed him. David killed him. And then he, you know, after a time of mourning, bought Bathsheba in. Everything's going to be cool, huh? But it wasn't cool. And, you know, David lived with that. That sin was tearing him up. And then finally, Nathan, one day, he came to him, and he told him a little story. And you guys remember the story, right? He said, this guy over here, he had a little sheep. He loved this little sheep. He fed the little sheep. He slept with the little sheep. It was his only little sheep. The guy next to him had a thousand sheep. And then when a visitor comes to his house, what does he do? Rather than killing one of his sheep, he takes this guy's one little sheep from him 
and he slays him. And David gets so mad. And he says, he shall die and he shall repay fourfold. And Nathan said, you're the man. Right? And David paid fourfold. His son died. Absalom died. Amnon died. Tamar was raped. Because that's what sin does. And that's why in looking at this right here, we really need to be so careful, you guys. We need to ask God for strength. Lord, how can I not fall? We need to take the battle seriously. Guys, we know the Lord did. Look what we read next in verse 36. It says, And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I know it's basic. I know it is, you guys, but it's so hard to overcome. Jesus knew that in order to have victory, that he needed to pray. He knew that. He knew something important. He lived it. He teaches us it. And that is that apart from prayer, we will have no victory. He knew the cross was coming. He knew that part of him, that human part of him, so to speak, would be challenged emotionally, painfully. He would literally sweat drops of blood. He'd be beaten to a pulp, pierced and nailed to a cross, mocked, humiliated, and you know so much more that we'll never understand. He knew that all these things would happen to him and it hit his human nature. And then there's the divine nature. He knew the devastation of the sins of the world being placed on him. He knew there would be a period of time in which he, for the first time in all eternity, would be separated from the Father. You know, while Jesus was here on earth, there were certain things that were veiled to him. 
um, because we know that he chose to lay aside his deity. And I know it's a mystery, but here he prays. It's kind of interesting. He prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, and, you know, if there's any other way. I mean, if, you know, they could follow. I know there's this guy, Buddha. He's coming later. You know, if it could just be that way, then I won't have to die. Or, or you know, how about just being a good person? God, you know, I mean, you wouldn't send a, a good person to hell. And so, you know, there's got to be another way. Just tell everybody to be a good person or maybe, you know, Allah. There's this guy, Muhammad. He's going to come up pretty soon and he's going to, you know, do his thing. And he's going to start a religion, Islam. And, and so, let you know, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. I mean, there was a part of him, the human part of him, even the divine part of him, a mysterious element in this whole thing. But, you know, you know, he says in the end, though, he tags it. He tags it every time. He tags it every time with, but not my will, but, but thy will be done. And what he does is before the cross, on the night before the cross, is he knows that the only way even he himself, the Son of God, is going to have that true victory is if he spends his time in prayer with his Father. Where he just literally, and you know, I don't know if you guys have ever been there in your life, or, or maybe it happens more frequently, or maybe it's just, you know, certain special occasions in your life, where you really, man, you go into the Garden of Gethsemane, man, and you sweat like crazy, and you just lay, you lay your life down, man. You lay everything there. You know, you wrestle with God. You grapple with God. And you just bring it all out. Lord, this is who I am. This is the struggle that I'm having, God. These are the issues that I'm facing. And Lord, I would love it if this could happen. But ultimately, Lord, ultimately in my life, not my will, but thy will be done. And in this whole process right here, what Jesus was doing is he was at really you know, giving us the victory that, that we need to see, even for our own life. You know, we love to speak about Calvary, huh? We call our church Calvary Chapel. Sometimes I think we should call it Gethsemane Chapel, man. <laughs> you know, because really, in Gethsemane, the battle was won. I mean, all the rest, it was just... Um, it was just what would happen. Because he had, on this night, he had on this night made a decision to die. It was here at Gethsemane where he not only made that decision, he just left it in the Father's hand. You know, and I don't know if the Father spoke to him. I don't know if he said, Son, I'm sorry, you have to die. I don't think so. I think he just let it happen. And that's what happened. And it's in Gethsemane that really the battle was won. You know, for our own life, without a Gethsemane, there'll never be a Calvary. The place where the son fell on his face and prayed and prayed and prayed and finally, formally, completely surrendered his will to his father. It was a special day. He was weeping. 
when they were sleeping. And we do this all the time. In closing, you guys, I just pray that we would realize the importance of Gethsemane. The importance, I guess you could say, of prayer. You know, I don't know how you're doing in your prayer life, and maybe you don't feel like it. Usually we don't feel like it. You know, and a lot of times we may justify it and say, well, I'm still alive, or I'm still in ministry, I'm still doing whatever. And it's true, man. God's grace is amazing. It really is. He's so good to us, man. But I'm telling you this right now. Unless you learn from the Bible, it'll catch up to you one day. Prayerlessness, it will catch up to you one day. God wants to spend time with you. You see, that's what I'm talking about. And so you go to your garden and you get, you know, away and you be with the Lord and you watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Never forget that. You know, I know I like to sleep. How many of you here like to sleep? We like to sleep, man. You know, we take naps during the day or we go to bed early, man. It's kind of crazy. If I get on that certain couch in my house, if I get on this one couch, I'm history, man. And so I've learned, don't get on that couch. (laughs) Waking up in the morning, you know, and spending that time with the Lord. Going to the garden. Maybe even getting away one day. Just you and and maybe another brother or a couple of brothers. And you go away. And you pray. And you spend time with the Lord. Because unless we have a Gethsemane, unless we have that place where we surrender our life to the Lord, um... We're not going to die, you guys. We're not going to die. We're not going to die to ourselves. We're not going to carry our cross like our leader did. And if we don't die, um, then we won't live. And if we don't die, then neither will they live. And so on that night before the cross, we learn a lot of things, man. We could just keep going. You know, Jesus was... Then kissed by Judas, sick, huh? You know, denied by Peter, arrested, mocked, all these crazy things that happened to him. But man, he went to the cross uh, for us. Uh, And I pray, you guys, we would live our life for Jesus Christ. Father, I just come before you, thanking you so much, Lord, for that night before the cross. And Lord, just thinking how Jesus was hurt, Um, by Judas and Peter and even everyone eventually forsook him, Lord, but it did not hinder, it did not stop him from the cross. And so my prayer, Lord, tonight is just, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being a mighty Savior. Thank you for being an awesome God. Thank you for being uh, so loving to someone even like me, like us. My prayer also, Lord, is that we would follow you. Lord, help us to do the same. Help us, Lord God, to pray, to yield our lives to you, and to go out and to live. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in every life that's here tonight. And just in case you're here tonight and you want the way out, maybe there's sin, It's knocking at your door. It's Satan. There's something going on. Maybe you're at a crossroads. And you want tonight, you're like, you know what? I need a way out. 
I want that way out. If that's you, right where you're at, man, just I want you to raise your hand, and we're going to pray for you, man. Thank you, Lord, for the hands that have gone up. Don't be afraid, just in case, man. This is a step, that step that you that you take where God takes over, man. It's like that Gethsemane where you surrender to the Lord completely and totally. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for those hands that went up, Lord. And I do pray that there would be power. Lord, I pray that you would do a new work, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would work in every heart here today, Lord. And put that discipline within us. Put that understanding of the new covenant, the blood, the grace, the love, and the way that you called us to follow you, Lord. We love you, Lord, as we embark on this special weekend, tomorrow, Friday, Sunday, Lord. I pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in every life. We thank you, Lord that we're your children. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Close with us.